Good evening. Um, I'm so glad to be able to speak before you guys tonight. Um, I've kind of been preparing a lesson that um, is something that I definitely struggle with, but I think that maybe we can all learn from here. And I know we've got a smaller number, but uh, maybe that'll be encouraging. I think we have a lot of the core group here at, at Lake Street. Um, and when I think about things that especially um, I struggle with and just humanity in general struggles with, one of the things that caught to my attention was caring about what other people think about us. Show of hands if you care about what other people think about you. Right, we have everybody pretty much raising their hand. Um, it's something that a lot of people struggle with. It's something that we struggle with all throughout time. Um, there's a famous uh, French genius named Blaise Pascal who says, We are not satisfied with the life we have in ourselves, in our own being. We want to lead an imaginary life in the eyes of others, and so we try to make an impression. We strive constantly to embellish and preserve our imaginary being and neglect the real one. He goes on to say, And if we are calm or generous or loyal, we are anxious to have it known so that we can attach these virtues to our other existence. We prefer to detach them from our real self so as to unite them with the other imaginary self. We would cheerfully be cowards if that would acquire us a reputation for bravery. So tonight we're going to be talking about kind of that idea. Sorry, Cal is laughing a little bit. It's, it's kind of a thick quote, but we're going to be talking about that idea of um, going beneath the surface and examining that dichotomy between reality versus the reputation that we have for ourselves and in our hearts. And so the first question I have to ask you guys is, do you fit Pascal's description? Are you more worried about what people think about you than what you actually are in your hearts? I think it's something we all struggle with every now and then. We care more about our reputation than our reality. And if you're kind of wondering whether you do that or not, one of the ways to test that is to examine some questions about that. So I've got some questions here. Which gives you greater joy? To do something amazing that nobody else notices? Or to do something maybe small and insignificant, but that everybody notices? Maybe that you get credit for, maybe if you didn't even do it at all. Which gives you greater joy? Would you rather be generous and have nobody know about it? Or be greedy and just give enough to be impressive towards other people? Would you rather be wise and have people think that you're stupid? Or would you rather be a fool and yet have a lot of people thinking that you're someone important? Would you rather be holy and yet have people despise you? Or would you rather be an evil person with lots of admirers? Do you care more about your imaginary being that exists in the eyes of others? Or do you care more about the reality of who you are in the eyes of God? Again, I think this is something that I fear Christians often are too caught up in. And what we look like on the outside... But Christians are always called to a higher standard, and we're called to go deeper and deeper into our hearts. And God consistently is much more concerned in Scripture with what is in our hearts than what we do. Now, that's not to say that He doesn't care about our behavior at all. Obviously, we see that in Scripture where He cares a lot about what we do. But our behavior is supposed to be understood as merely an outgrowth of the beliefs that we have and the things that are in our hearts. And so tonight, I want us to go beneath the surface so that we can see if we have a God-shaped heart. A heart that is shaped by Him, that looks like Him, and lives like Him, and resembles Him in every action. And one of the main things that I want us to remember is that a godly life doesn't begin in our actions. It begins in our hearts. And God commands us to get real. And so I hope we can get real together tonight. Um, the idea that we're going to be talking about comes from Ephesians 4.32. And I've got all of our scriptures up here on the board. Um, I know that's sometimes helpful for, for some of our older members to where they can see those things and not have to turn. Um, so our, our kind of first idea comes from Ephesians 4, verse 32. It says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This idea of forgiving others as Jesus loved us, or loving as Jesus loved, is what I want us to talk about tonight and examine within ourselves. And this idea of loving just as Christ loved us is not something that's foreign in Scripture. It's in a lot of other Scriptures, too. Um, first of all, uh, Colossians 3, verses 12 and 13 says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you, must also, for or so you also must forgive. 
And again, in John 13, verses 34 and 35, it says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is something we've heard so often, but on the surface it sounds kind of astonishing that Jesus would say he has a new commandment to love each other as he has loved them. Um, We know that loving each other is something that Leviticus 19, we read so often of in the Old Testament. And yet Jesus calls this new because the new part of that is the new standard that we're called to. The new measure of love that is so much higher is to love each other as Jesus loved. And so that's, again, what we're going to be talking about tonight. If we're, going to look, if we're going to love like Jesus loves, then we need to look at some specific areas of Jesus' love and kind of see how we compare to those things and match up. Um, obviously, it's easy to compare ourselves to other people, but we're supposed to be comparing ourselves to the standard, and that's Jesus. So let's compare ourselves to some of the characteristics of Jesus' love tonight. I don't know how fast this is going behind me, but okay. So the first love I've got, or the first characteristic I have, is being sacrificial. This is one of the first things that comes to my mind when we think about um, Jesus's love for us, especially when you think about in Ephesians five how um, God talks to husbands and tells them that their love should be sacrificial. It's one of the very first things He mentions, and obviously the love that husbands and wives have for each other is mimicking that of Christ in the church. And so you think about passages like Philippians 2, where it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We see that the measure of Jesus' love for us is the distance between when he was at his Father's throne in heaven and coming down to earth and dying on a cross for us. That's the maximum amount of love that you can have. And we can see that even pointed out in 2 Corinthians 8. Um, This is kind of in a passage where it talks about giving, but it's so important what it says. It says in verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Um, Again, that's something that's given in um, a context talking about um, the contribution that we give. But just the, the idea of how much Jesus gave up for us, how rich he had been and how poor he became. He gave up so much. And loving others as Jesus loved us means that we have to give up things in order to love each other and have to have a sacrificial love. Loving others as Jesus loved means giving up things to love other people, like our possessions, our comforts, our honor, our dignity, our status, our rights, our acceptance, our security, and everything that is encapsulated in our own will. When we love others, it is often painful because we have to sacrifice things that we cherish in order to seek what's best for others. And you think about this when we step back. In theory, who wouldn't want to love other people? Who wouldn't want to love other people like this? But that theoretical love is not what Jesus had for us. He consistently had a love that cost him something for us. And I think when we think about the love that we have for each other, we often lose the fact that our love should be sacrificial and it should be costing us something. Um, we think about our parents and the love that our parents have for each other, or the parents have for us. Um, I think about just how little I think about my mom even going through the birthing process for me and all that she went through for that, carrying me for nine months and then going through intense labor. Um, But your parents give so much for you. And we see that our Father has sacrificed so much for us. How should we not be willing to sacrifice so much for each other as well? So the question I have for you in this section, um, this is going to be a lot of application, is what are we giving up? What special, cherished, or important things are you giving up for people inside this room with you? To show them that you love them. Thinking of other aspects of Jesus' love, um, we've talked about sacrificial, but I want to also talk about being generous. Um, we see that Jesus' love was so generous. 
Um, in Romans 5, verse 17, it says, For if, because of one man's trespass, death, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. We see here that two key words that talk about Jesus' love, that it's described as a grace and a free gift. And those things are important. His love gave in an unbelievable way. Um, and one of the other things we see, too, in, in a couple verses later, Romans 5.20, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Again, we see that his love is, is termed as this grace. And we see this idea that Jesus gives to people who are very, very unworthy. He's a very giving person. And when we think about people who give to unworthy people, we think about Luke 14 and the prodigal son and that unworthy prodigal son. And we think about the father's love that's pictured there and how perfectly that pictures our father's love for us. You know, that son was such a scoundrel where he pretty much asks his father to die. And because he hasn't died yet, he just asks for his money from him. And he goes off and lives this terrible lifestyle. And when he's coming home, you know, his head's bopping over the hill. We see that his father is still looking for him. And as he's coming, before he even reaches the doorstep, the father runs to him, hugs him, kisses him. And if we stop and think about ourselves in that situation, I can kind of see myself or even sometimes my parents saying, you know, now you come back. You know, why don't you go ahead and get a job first and see if you can actually mean something to yourself or, or clean yourself up a little bit. And then we'll talk about, you know, bringing you back into the family. But that's not our father. That's not the father in that picture. And that's not the father that we have. And we can see this idea of grace and generosity thrown throughout God's love for us. But it's harder to think about that in relationship to each other and showing how gracious and generous we should be with each other. Um, one way in which I can think about that is Ephesians 4.28. It says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The end of that verse has such an interesting twist to it. We think that it would say, you know, that you should labor and do an honest work with your hands so that you won't have to ask anybody for anything or that you won't be in need. But instead it says that you're supposed to work so that you can give to other people. Do we understand that's the reason why we work or that's the, the reason why we have things? Is to give to other people? Um, another thing that I think about is the early Christians and how they exemplified this so well where they're selling their lands, their houses, their possessions in order to give to people who had a need. And I think it's interesting, kind of on an offshoot of that, um, this idea that we have, or the concept that we have of the Lord's money, where, um, you know, this, this thing that we relegate to the Lord's day, what we give in the collection plate, but when we step back and think about it, everything that we have is the Lord's money, or everything that we have is the Lord's possessions, or what the Lord has. And the things that He gives us are given with a responsibility to give to other people. Um, you think about um, God being in charge of the, the distribution of resources, and He could have given everybody the exact same amount of money to every person in the entire world. But why didn't he do that? He obviously made the world and the earth this way, but he did this for a purpose. And I think we can see a lot of positive results from that. Um, one, one of the things I think explicitly tells us why he did that is in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 13 and 14. It says, For I do not mean that others should be eased by your, and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time, present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, and that there may be fairness. We see in these couple of verses here that God is giving some people abundance so that they can share with people in need. To where when those people in need have abundance, they can come back and share with those people who had abundance earlier. Um, it's a pretty simple concept, um, but that's, that's how God designed um, our abundance and things like that. Um, God wants us to be some givers and some receivers. And he doesn't just give us blessings so that we can enjoy those blessings alone. He gives them so that we can pass those blessings on to other people. Um, I know we don't sing this song very often, but I'm not, I don't know how, how many of you are familiar with the song, There is a Sea. Um, it's a really, really interesting song. The first verse talks about um, 
There is a sea which day by day receives the rippling wills. Rippling wh- rills. Wow, that's a hard word to say. But um, it talks about how um, the Jordan River, I think it actually starts with the Dead, the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea receives all these currents, and yet it takes for itself alone, and it lies dead, and it carries the name Dead Sea. But then the second verse talks about the Jordan River, and it talks about how everything that it receives, it passes on. And how that's the, the image that we're supposed to be in. The, the last verse says, Which shall it be for you and me, whose God's good gifts receive? Shall we receive for self alone, or something for selfish gain? And the idea is, who, which sea are we going to be? The Dead Sea that just takes for ourselves, Or the Jordan River that, that spreads to other people? Um, I just kind of pairing with my Wednesday night and sharing a little bit about my own life. Um, I've kind of been going through a little bit of a job turmoil a little bit, and um, it makes me think about those times when I was making more money and how much I wish I would have shared that more, or opened up my home more, or just been more generous with that. And now that I was kind of having to cut back on my money, there were so many instances in which I saw that I could have been helping somebody else, but I couldn't anymore. And so that's one of my personal goals, especially over these next coming weeks, is to be more of a giver with my money especially, um, and to see that what God gives me comes with responsibility like we talked about. Um, but obviously this can't be relegated to just money. God is generous in so many other ways. And so what about spiritual help? This is one of the other examples that I gave. Um, in James 5, verse 19 and 20, it says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Sometimes we think about being generous to others spiritually and think about, you know what, I've just spent way too much time on that person or you know, they, they're not deserving of this or if they acted a little bit better, maybe I'd be willing to help them out more. And I understand there's an appropriate t- toughness to love and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But God's love for us is given to those people who aren't worthy. And I think that should be our go-to when we think about loving and being generous towards our love with other people is giving and giving and giving because even though they aren't worthy, we're not worthy of God's love either. We need to be willing to be generous to those who are in need in various areas, whether it be spiritual or mon- uh, with, with money or anything. Um, another characteristic of Jesus' love is not only that it's sacrificial, it's generous, but it's also compassionate. Um, and I know these things will kind of overlay each other a lot. Um, but what I'm drawing from here is, uh, starting in Matthew 9, it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And we're kind of familiar with this passage um, pretty well. But one of the other ones that really strikes out to me is Mark chapter 6. If you would turn over there. I don't have everything included in this. But this is one of the more amazing uh, passages to me. Just thinking about how Jesus' example is. Um, this is in the instance in which um, his cousin, John the Baptist, has just died. Um, and Jesus has con- called his 12 apostles. He stayed up all night praying for them. And it's just one thing after another. He's in front of all these thousands of people and um, you know, healing them and things like that. And in verse 30, it says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. And so you think about all that Jesus has gone through. You know, he's been up all night praying. John the Baptist has died. He's going through a lot. And it says, For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure to even eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of him. And when he was ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had a compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. I don't know if you've ever been so busy and been around so many people that by the end of the day, you just want to crawl in a hole and be away from everybody. And I imagine this is what Jesus would have felt, where as he sees these people coming, he would have just wanted to yell, can't you leave me alone for one second? But he's so giving, and he still continues to love them and care about them and be compassionate towards them and has that feeling. I think a lot of times, um, even if we 
choose to be compassionate or we choose to do something nice for somebody whenever we're worn out, maybe that, that feeling of compassion is gone where we think this is something that I need to do, I have to do this, but you don't really feel that fire and love towards someone and whenever you're um, you know, tired or things like that. Um, and so when we think about loving like Jesus loved, don't, also, don't just think about um, the actions that he has, but the feelings that he has towards people as well. Um, are we too self-absorbed, or do we really take an interest in other people? Do we really care? Do we see anyone in a crowd whenever we're busy? Or are we willing, like him, to cut into our food, our rest, our relaxation, to serve other people? That's something we consistently find Jesus doing. And maybe we don't see it consistently in our lives, that we cut into these things to serve other people. Um, I think another thing that we ask ourselves is, do we consistently put others' needs before our convenience? And especially at this point, it makes me think about how little I love compared to Jesus. He is on a, such a different plane to, compared, to we are, or compared to what we are. And so when we look at what he does and how he feels, it's so amazing. And I want us to think about that tonight. Um, another characteristic of Jesus' love, um, we've talked about sacrificial, generous, compassionate. But we can also talk about his openness. And I think this is one that's not as much talked about in, in um, our Bible studies or things like that. But turn, if you will, to John 15. John 15. I've got some of it on the board here. Um, uh, this is when Jesus is, is talking with his disciples, kind of at those last coming moments. And uh, he says, Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. That, that last aspect that I've kind of italicized there, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. This idea of vulnerability and that the fact that he sees them as friends because he is completely vulnerable to them and that he has told them everything that his Father has told them. I think sometimes when we think about loving others, we forget that we have to get out of our comfort zones and make ourselves vulnerable and open up ourselves for their good. Sometimes we like to love from as great of a distance as possible or with as great of a reserve as possible. Because it's insecure for us to, feel, to be vulnerable and open with them. But Jesus shows us that there are times when love opens up and when love tells others and makes them friends. And not just our professional clients or just people that we treat with good manners or with etiquette. I think that's so dangerous that we do in the church is we just treat each other with good etiquette and good manners. And forget to really open up our lives and tell each other what we're struggling with or what we're hurting with or things like that. And it's amazing to me to think about the way that God loves. Again, are we willing to make ourselves vulnerable and open for others' good? God obviously took the chief most um, vulnerability and openness whenever he wrote us in his word. He tells us everything that's ever been done. Um, not everything that's ever been done, excuse me. Um, he tells us so many things that have been done to hurt him and that have injured him. He tells us what his feelings are and what, what upsets him, what frustrates him. It's hard for me to tell that to you know, my girlfriend or people that I'm close with, you know, what gets on my nerves. But God is so vulnerable with his emotions and telling us what he feels and what he thinks and what he wants for us. And we need to do that with each other. We need to tell each other what hurts us, what we feel, um, what's going on in our lives, and be open and vulnerable with each other. Um, one of the questions I asked was, if you had been God, would you have chosen to open your heart up so much, to tell so much about how you feel and what you think, your emotions and what hurts you, when we look at the Bible, there's an amazing amount of openness to us that we forget so often that we need to, exam- we need to um, show in our example. Excuse me. We need to bend that horizontally with our relationship with each other. Another characteristic of Jesus' love um, is not only the ones that we've talked about, but that he's also forgiving. This is kind of the layup, right? 
The Bible says so much about needing to forgive each other. Um, Jesus taught this in various passages, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, like Matthew 5, 43 and 44, where it says, You have heard it was said, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Um, We also read over in Luke 6, But love your enemies and do good and lend. Expect nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. And you see that one of the amazing things about this is that Jesus practiced what he preached in loving and forgiving other people. I mean, you know what he said on the cross, Father, forgive them. This is as people have drummed up, you know, from this innocent man. Imagine being an innocent person your entire life and having people drum up these causes against you or these accusations without a fair trial. And they laugh at you, they beat you, they strip you, they hang you on a cross. Um, A lot of, you know, theologians, things like that, think that Jesus was hung pretty well naked, displayed as a piece of meat for everybody. And the thing that he says is, forgive them, Father. That's amazing to me. I think if we were in a situation, we don't know how he could forgive people like that. We say, they've just hurt me too much, or you know, they've done this. Or maybe even we forgive them, but we distance ourselves from them. Jesus is not distant from them when he's doing these things. Um, you, know, you think also of Jesus after he's uh, risen from the dead, and he tells that angel to tell the women and the disciples, and Peter specifically, to meet him in Galilee. Could you imagine one of your best friends who in the moment when you needed him the most denied you and left you out for cold and you still chasing after him and making sure that he felt welcome? Again, it's amazing the forgiveness of Jesus and the lack of forgiveness that we often show to other people. If Jesus loved his enemies in the way that we loved our enemies, where would we be tonight? Probably not forgiven. Probably not sitting in his room. Do you see why we need to be forgiving? Even to those who hurt us, who wrong us, Holding resentment, seeking revenge, keeping our distance, none of those things are characteristic of our God, and they should not be characteristic of ourselves. Do you forgive as Jesus forgave? Another aspect of Jesus' love uh, that I think is important for us to think about tonight is not only his forgiving nature, but his personal nature of his love. Um, Again, these things are kind of uh, overlapping a little bit, and this may not be the best term to, to call this, but here we go, hear me out. Um, excuse me, I'm jumping ahead of myself now. There we go. Okay. Um, again, it's amazing to think of how little reserve and how little distance he had when he loved others. Um, I mean, think about his disciples. Um, kind of that ragtag group. And he lived with them. He didn't just see them in his office. He was there 24-7 with them. They saw him cry. They saw his emotions. They saw him get upset at things. You know, even his interaction with the people. He touched lepers. He held children. He showed great sensitivity when the disciples needed him, when his family needed him. And so often, we are willing to love others, but not when they get too close. But isn't that what Jesus did with his love? He was so close to them, and he became one of us. And so I ask you tonight... What more can you do to identify with those who you're loving? You know, Jesus got, or God got burned over and over again in loving other people, and yet he, that didn't make him keep his distance from them. He kept coming after them and being personal. Um, one of my favorite passages in regards to this is 1 Thessalonians 3. Um, this is when Paul is talking to the Thessalonians and kind of like really anxious to hear about how they're doing. And um, he sends Timothy to go hear about them. And it says in verse 6 and 7, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. 
For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see your face, see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Um, I think the love that Paul felt for this church is just amazing. To say that we now live because we hear that you're doing well. There's very few people in my life, unfortunately, that I can say, I hear the cow's doing well. Man, I can finally live today. I'm feeling so much better. Or even to say that I've been praying earnestly day and night that I can see you and worried about you. Do we really feel that for anybody else in this room? It's scary to think about how little we love other people compared to Jesus. To be quite honest. Um, You think also, you know, Timothy's love for these churches. He was a teenager at this time. And so often we want to think about younger people and think about how they don't matter, we can't expect much of them. But Timothy had so much love for them that he went to go ask and see how they're doing. And again, Paul loved them so much that he was overwhelmed that they were doing well and could not wait for Timothy to get back. You see this personal, close, and biblical love. Not some sort of clinical love that holds people at a distance or doesn't really care about what they are, but that prays night and day for them, that cares about them, and that really ultimately you can say that now we live because we care about what other people are doing. This is the love that Jesus has and the love that we should have for each other. So are you willing to love others with no reservations and no distance? Another um, aspect of Jesus' love, and again, this is one of those that I struggle with the wording on it, is this idea of being constructive. Um, Jesus was not just a nice guy. I think sometimes we mistake being loving as some sort of indulgent, kindly, non-challenging sort of love that you would imagine in some sort of stereotypical grandparent that you know, just never challenges you, never says anything that you do wrong, or thinks anything bad about you. But that's absolutely not what we see in Jesus. Um, he exemplifies what we would sometimes like to refer to as tough love. Or he was willing to be very, very strong and very, very firm because that's actually what's loving in some circumstances. Um, I love the story in uh, John 4, where Jesus kind of shows some, a little bit of a brash love towards um, the woman at the well. And we won't turn there, but um, he broaches this difficult subject of her husband's. And he asks her about those things because he knew that she needed that. She needed to be confronted about that and to be comforted and healed and, and changed about her life about that. But if you think about how she would have felt, that would have hurt immensely. So why would Jesus ask those probing questions? Why would he unmask this woman with this dubious marriage history? And it's simply because he loved her. He had this constructive type of love that was willing to say things that are tough, ask tough questions, and risk rejection. It cares more about the well-being of the person than it cares about how much the person treats them or how the person treats them and accepts them. And sometimes when we aren't being willing to be tough in our love, maybe it's because that we love ourselves too much or that we don't love the other person to to bear the, the pain of confrontation with them. And if someone's in danger... Surely we would want to encourage them to do what's right and help them in that matter and say the right things and tough things that they need to hear. Um, that's not saying, again, that everybody needs this kind of treatment. I think you, th- you think of verses like 1 Thessalonians 5.14 where it says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. This idea of admonishing, encouraging, and helping, it kind of shows a, a gradation there of different things that you need to do with people. Or in Jude, verse 22 and 23, And have mercy on those who doubt, save others by, the fire, by snatching them out of the fire, and to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. But what I want us to think about with this is, is this how we love? Are we willing to love others in ways that risk our own comfort in order to help the other person? Are we willing to approach each other and say things that may be hard just because we love them and care about them?
Um, the last aspect that I want to focus on, um, we've talked about sacrificial, being generous, compassionate, open, forgiving, personal, constructive, and the last aspect is persevering. Um, I think about 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. What a pregnant phrase, that it endures all things. So many people, when they read this at a marriage ceremony, don't realize that they'll have to endure their spouse cheating on them, or their spouse not loving them as much, or maybe um, endure rough in-laws, or different things. That, I mean, I'm obviously not in that situation, so it's hard for me to even make examples of things that you'd have to go through, but there's so much that our love has to endure. And when we think about God's endurance with us, His perseverance with us, we should simply be amazed He has experienced so many crushing disappointments, but he keeps on loving. Remember in John 6, where the whole multitude is following him, and yet he says um, some hard things to them, and everybody leaves. And his disciples say, or Jesus asks his disciples, are you going to leave me too? Because everybody has left him. And Peter says, Lord, who else should we go to? But think about, after everybody left him, or what about when Judas was betraying him and sold him and then kissed him on the cheek in the garden. How would you feel if somebody betrayed you with a kiss? Something that is supposed to be nice to you. Or what about his, when his disciples left him at his trial? Jesus never became jaded or hardened or resentful. He continued to love. He endured all things. There will be times, and there probably has been times in our lives, when we love someone and we really care about them and it bites us in the back. When you care more about them than what they care about themselves... And it's hard to keep loving them when the results always aren't what we want them to be. But Jesus shows us the example of what we should be to them. He keeps loving, he keeps serving, he keeps giving, and keeps showing us what he expects of us. Um, Maybe you've already thought of a few other ways to describe aspects of Jesus' love that would be helpful. I mean, obviously we can spend all day, many years, talking about this subject. And we've only scratched the surface. And this is certainly a challenge for all of us. Not only to think about Jesus' love, but so many other aspects of his character. His humility. His, his, um, there are just so many other aspects I can't even think about them right now because I've thought about this for so long. But um, we need to think about how we can apply these areas in our lives. Um, I think one thing that I was thinking about just to wrap this up, um, you think about the love that we have for each other. And that love is never really realized until you make a commitment to other people. You think about how beautiful it is whenever um, a girl and a guy who are kind of liking each other finally make the commitment to be in a relationship and to commit themselves as boyfriend and girlfriend. Or how amazing it becomes whenever they become engaged and marriage is imminent. And then how beautiful it is once they become married that they're completely committed to each other for the rest of their lives. And I think we forget about that kind of love with God too. How often have you made a commitment to Him or made a specific goal to love him more deeply, or to love other people more deeply. I think that's something we have to think about when, when applying this lesson into our lives. And maybe this is something that whenever you're going home with your, your husband or wife tonight, or just even whenever you're going home and thinking about it, writing down on a note card or on your phone some sort of goal that you have, some sort of um, commitment that you can make to God or other people or your family to show that you will love more importantly. Our love is never realized fully until it's made in a commitment. And so I want you to think about that tonight, is, is making a commitment to love more deeply or to just be more like Christ in other ways. Um, I think everybody's a Christian here tonight, um, but there's of, often, a, we offer an invitation, excuse me, I'm kind of stumbling over my words, but we offer an invitation at the end of um, a Bible study. And this would be the time where typically I would say that you would need to make a commitment to God in baptism and in bringing your life to Him. But we've all made that commitment. 
Yet I think we forget um, how beautiful it can be to renew our vows or to talk about um, different ways in which we should renew ourselves to the Lord. And so maybe as we're singing this invitation song, you can kind of think about this personally, about ways in which you can see your love struggling compared to Christ's and can make new commitments to Him and make new ways in which you can uh, love and serve Him and His people. Um, if that's something you need help with, um, I would ask that you just you know, pray a prayer in your seat or while you're standing or things like that. But if it's something that you need the prayers of everybody here, um, we ask that you come forward as we stand and sing.